I hope that all of you have um, gotten something to eat. Um, before we begin the process of abusing our young confirmands with questions and um, their, their stomachs are rolling around right now with a little anxiety, uh, we do want to uh, let all of the seventh grade students see the torment that you're going to be put through next year. And, um, and those of you that have been through all this confirmation stuff, I imagine that you're feeling pretty good right now that this is not you up here. Uh, we have one more that we're waiting for, Nolan uh, Van Meter. And um, so we have a couple of minutes to be able to wait for Nolan to arrive. Um, so, um, everybody here have a wonderful spring break. Yeah. We, um, here he comes. Thought for a second that maybe you had chickened out on us there. Good to see you, Nolan. Okay. Um, for the benefit of our confirmands, uh, they have all received a hymnal with their name upon it, which is a gift from our congregation. Um, the um, uh, people don't often see the hymnal as something to be used other than in church on Sunday morning, but that is not the case. The hymnal was actually intended to be a source of devotion for uh, people during the week in their daily lives. Uh, you will find in there uh, lectionaries for your daily reading. You will, of course, see hymns. You will see the catechism is in there as well. Um, there are suffragists, uh, prayers that you can use with your family, with your children, um, individually. When you go to college someday, when you are going on for more education to take your hymnal with you. Um, in, the, uh, in the old days, uh, people actually brought their hymnals with them in their cars, and they sang hymns as they drove down the road. So can you imagine yourselves as people who sing hymns? Maybe when you're out there hunting those deer, Dane, you can sing some hymns out there, and that'll bring the deer in. Um. Okay, um, we have come close to the hour of decision here. Um, do we have uh, do we have a family that are here for each of our confirmands? Um, I'm going to start with Emily's family. You want to raise your hands? Oh, that's a real peanut gallery over there. <laughs> All right. And uh, Alex, uh, your family, uh, here we go, grandpa and grandma as well. Uh, we have uh, Olivia's family, all right, that's great, wonderful, we're not occupied a few tables. Dane and your family, all here, gathered around the table. Brett, friends and family, we, oh here, oh yeah, here you are, okay, that's uh, <laughs> just two girls, that's it. Uh, uh, all right, and Nolan, here we are back here in the corner. That's right, okay. All right, well, uh, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer, if you might. Dear Lord and Savior, we now present before you six young people who are about to make a confession of their faith. We pray that it would not be a difficult or a hard time, but rather that it would be a time of great joy. For you have implanted by your Holy Spirit a knowledge in them of who the true God is and how they can, through your Son, Jesus Christ, receive not only the forgiveness of all their sins, but even the gift of everlasting life. Keep them in this faith, we pray. Do not let them stray from it. Do not let them fail. Whenever it is that they become weak in their faith, we pray that you would guide them back to the source of this faith and always give them a zeal and a love for your word, for your teachings, 
and for the hope that you have now planted within them. Guide us today as they make confession of their faith and also in our service as they come before you and present themselves in the robes of white that they might be cleansed from all their sins in, through, and by means of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to... Um, give you a microphone, and then I'm just going to have you pass it down. Now, treat this, don't, don't enter like this, because then they can't hear you. You have to go like this, you know, can you hear how my voice is different? All right, and uh, I, Emily looks like she really wants this, this microphone first. I can just <laughs> tell by the way that she is doing this. Uh, but we could start over here with Dane, is that okay? All right, Dane. Okay, well, um, we have already, I mean, I, I have no doubt that all of you fully understand who the triune God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But how is it that we come to know this God, Dane? Um, God chooses us before we're born, and our parents before us, they lead us to where to church here, and they bring us to church every Sunday so we can learn about God. Okay, and where do you learn about God? Where, what's the source of our knowledge about God? The Bible. The Bible, okay. Now, the scriptures, and, and I, I like the idea that you actually started with the doctrine of predestination. Uh, pretty sophisticated answer. Um, we'll maybe ask you a few more questions about that later, okay? But... The idea that really you came to know God because God actually chose you to know him. I liked that a lot. That wasn't even in the, my intended answer. But um, wh why do we need a Savior, Dave? Uh, we can't save ourselves from our sins, and that's why we need uh, Jesus and God to save our, us okay. from our sins. Yeah, uh, we say uh, we are by nature blind on uh Blind, undead, or sinful and unclean. Blind, blind dead, and, and enemies. Enemies of God. Enemies yeah. of God. Why don't you hand it over to Olivia? She's anxious to a, a <laughs> say, bring a few couple of questions here. Okay. Now, this, uh, this Lord, this Messiah, uh, who is he? But let's, let's see if we can't use the words of Luther's explanation to the second article. Um, I believe that Jesus Christ... True God begotten of the Father from eternity, and also a true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. Yeah, I mean, isn't it nice to be able to have somebody else write the answer? But to be able to memorize that, so that if anybody ever says, you know, who, who exactly is Jesus Christ, you don't have to go searching for words, you can just say, we believe Jesus Christ, true God, has been begotten from the Father from eternity, by the Father from eternity, and also that he is true man, and he's been born of the Virgin Mary. We say that he came to save us. What did he save us from? We have the, the, the three, you know. Sin, death, and the power of the devil. Oh, a perfect, perfect response. That's right. Sin, death, and the power of the devil. Does that mean that you are never going to die? No. Well, we, our bodies will die, but our souls will go up to... Well, we will go up to heaven if we believe in God. If we die. And what's going to happen on the last day, though, to your body? On the last day, Jesus will raise us from the dead, and we will, our bodies will be raised from the dead as well. Oh, goodness sakes. Really something to remember and to live for, isn't it? Um, we say that Jesus had... Why don't you hand it over to Alex? He's anxious, too. No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> Alex, we say that um, Jesus had two natures. What are the two natures of Jesus? True man and true God. Okay, we say sometimes say divine and human, but yeah, he is true man and also true God. Um, we say, what did he come to make known to us or to, to reveal to us? And um, can you put that in your own words or you, do you want to use the, that explanation that she did of the second article? He came to redeem us. Uh, we would say he purchased us with, his, with what? Uh, his innocent suffering and death. Ah, yeah, yeah. His own, 
his own innocent suffering death, which is with his blood. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ? What does that mean? To have faith is to like um, believe in what he did, believe in his works. Okay. Uh, and so really kind of what it is that she was saying to deliver us from sin, death, and the power of the devil, but to believe that he has done that, right? I mean, that's what faith is like, trust. How does the Holy Spirit call us to faith? He calls upon us by the gospel. That's, that's also in that third article, isn't it? Yep. He has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. That word gospel is a is a tough one because sometimes it's just such a common word when we hear gospel. Um, it means good news, right? The wonderful news. Um, how did the Holy Spirit, or what did the Holy Spirit do to the writers of the Bible so that they were able to uh, write down these words and thoughts of God? What do we call that? Isn't it terrible when the pastor leaves these long, pregnant pauses yep. like this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, what is that answer? Yeah, we say the Holy Spirit uh, filled them, and sometimes we use the word inspiration, right? That they were inspired to write so that when we are reading the Bible, we're not just reading words of men, we're also reading the words of God. Of God, yes, right. Um, what has to happen inside of us in order for us to be able to understand the Bible? Um, we have to... Um, Long, pregnant pause. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in other words, something has to change within us, right? What is, who, who has to change us? The old Adam in us has to change. Okay, and, and who, we, what person of the Trinity is responsible for doing that? Uh, Holy Spirit. Right. Holy Spirit has to actually enlighten us. Who has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and kept me in that true faith, right? So um, when we say that we have to be converted or we have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that takes place, the, the work of the Holy Spirit takes place through the power of what? We've already said... We, sometimes we say gospel, but it's through the power of the word of God, yep. right? That when we talk about Christian baptism, now Emily is really anxious to have that microphone. Okay. So, Emily, what is Christian baptism? Um, it is not just water, but the word of God in and with the water. In and with the water. Kind of that, again, that beautiful Luther explanation not just that old plain water, but it is something that is where it combined, therefore, with the word of God. And like Alex was saying here, this is the means through which God, the Holy Spirit, does his great work, right? We say, what benefits does baptism give? What does it work in us? Um, uh, Forgiveness of, of sins. Okay. And um, it rescues us from... Sin, yeah. death, and the power of the devil. And the power of the devil, that's right. Now, that, that power of the devil, this is something that, that um, I guess we, a lot of times people, well, everybody will acknowledge that they've got sin, or everybody will acknowledge that they need to be able to kind of have a savior. But this idea that we are actually under the power of the devil. It, when you were baptized, that's what we said. We said that we are by nature under the power of the devil, and the devil has this power to deceive or to blind us so that now in your holy baptism, which God gave you, you're capable of being able to now understand the gospel. We say, what does baptism signify? Something about what Alex was saying about the old Adam. It signifies that what? What, mm -hmm. is, what are we supposed to be doing with that old, old Adam? That it dies. Yeah, it dies, right? In other words, uh, if you use water and somebody dies in water, what do we call that? Uh, Pick you up, throw you into the water. Drowning? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, just, just animation. That <laughs> Try to give you the answer. Um, yeah, that, that, that 
it signifies, baptism signifies that we should be drowning the old Adam in us, that old sinful nature. All right, uh, let's move back over to um, the other side of the spectrum here, okay? There you go, Brett. All right. Now, what exactly is the, the law, Brett? The law is part of um, the Bible that tells, shows us our sin and why we need a Savior. Right, and, that, and these, are these commands and demands of God that, that govern our thoughts and minds, what is, in a sense, if we wanted to be able to put the law of God into a capsule, what would we call those things, those ten things? The ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, all right. First three have to do with our relationship with whom? With God. And the last seven? With our relationship with our fellow mankind. Uh, with, yeah, sure, our neighbor. What is exactly is the gospel? The gospel is what shows us our Savior and how Christ saves us and from. The grace of, uh, that grace of God, that good news. Um, what do we see in the mirror of the law? In the mirror of the law, we see our own sin and condemnation. Yeah, and guilt and, and the fact that we cannot please God, right? When we look through that window of the gospel, what do we see? We can see the grace of God and how we are saved. Our Savior. Um, just for the benefit of our, of our family and visitors and those who are here, uh, one of the things that we said as a way of trying to describe law and gospel is that we said it's as though you have two windows and one of those windows you paint black on the back side and then that becomes a mirror, right? And so when you're reading a Bible, uh, sometimes what it does is it, like a mirror, it shows you who you are and then sometimes it shows you what God has done for you. And oftentimes the Bible gets confused because people think, well, when I'm reading the Bible, uh, it's either all about me, it's all mirror, or it's all the window, that is to say, it's all about what God is doing, but the Bible is doing both. And it gets very confusing to people, but we talk about law and gospel, don't we, all the time. And we talk about how it's necessary for us to understand the scriptures by understanding law and gospel. Do you think we should try to terrorize Nolan for just a little while? Yeah. Okay. Um, why, we say, why does the gospel alone inspire in us a love for God? Why, why, why does, in a sense, the law not do that? Why does the gospel have to inspire love in us for God? Um, the gospel shows <coughs> how God saved us, and the law shows um, God's wrath, I guess. Yeah, boy, that's a very, very good answer. Um, when we look at the law, of course, we see our imperfections, and that doesn't make us love God because he's condemning us, right? But the gospel shows us our Savior, and when we see this relief of seeing that there's a Savior who died for us, that therefore that's how it is that we come to love God. So the gospel alone is the means through which we are able to love God. Um, what is this thing called righteousness? Do you, can you describe that for me? We, maybe, maybe by saying there's two kinds of righteousness. What are those two kinds? Um, there's righteousness by the law and righteousness by the gospel. The righteousness of the law, righteousness of the gospel. So uh, however we want to put this, to be right, to be innocent, to be blameless, is to be righteous. And if you look into that, when that mirror of the law, you find out that we are or we're not righteous. Which one of those two? When we, we look are. into the law. We're not. We're not righteous. If we look into the gospel, we are? Righteous. We are, then we are righteous. So if I say to you, Nolan, are you righteous? Your answer will be? We are unrighteous by the law and righteous by the gospel. You're, you're just too good in your answer because I <laughs> was waiting for you to give me that old yes and no and yes and no. This. Okay. Um, so uh, we said there are two kinds of righteousness. Um, these, the, the use of the word rights here, the rights of righteousness that Christ came into the flesh to give us, were they the rights of brotherhood or kingship or sonship? Sonship. To be sons of, and children of God. So what is it that motivates us and inspires us to do good works and good deeds? 
We say it sometimes in the, actually the first article, that he gives us our clothing and shoes and our food and our drink and our house and home. He does this, all this purely out of fatherly... Divine goodness. Divine mercy, right, without any merit or worthiness in us. So, the clothing that you wear today, is it a gift from God or did you earn it? A gift. Okay. The, um, the shoes that you wear, is it a gift from God or did you earn it? A gift. Your, your mother asked me to make sure that I emphasize this uh, at great length. Um, when we do good works um, in response to God's grace, what is it that shines through us? We say, the glory of whom shines through us when we do good works? God's glory. God's glory, right. So when you do good deeds, when you are kind to your sister. Your mother thought I'd bring that up too. When you bring... <laughs> what's shining through you is God's glory, isn't it? All right. Well, um, let's go on. We talk about finding the Christian church. What do we want to... Do you know what the marks of the Christian church are? Um where the true gospel is preached. Good for you. Where the gospel is preached and the what are properly administered. Uh, where the sacrament of the altar. Sacraments are properly administered. Boy, good job, Nolan. I'm going to take that microphone away from you, and we're going to go back to the middle. Okay. Thank you. Um, so... Uh, are Christians holy, or are they sinful? Um, they're sinful. Okay. And are we holy, or are we sinful? Uh, holy. Under the law, under the we law. are sinful. Under uh, the gospel, we are holy. holy, because we have faith in Christ. So we say, why are law and gospel, therefore, necessary to the life of the Christian church? Uh, because if we didn't have it, then we couldn't be saved. We couldn't be saved. And we, if we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know that we have that we sin. We wouldn't know that we sin if we didn't have the law. If we don't have the gospel, then we know we aren't saved. And we can't we can't have faith in Christ, can we? All right. So, what kinds of promises does God make to His children, especially in times when they are suffering? Um, that they'll make it through the hard times and they'll have eternal life when they die. Yeah, and uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about, about how it is that God makes promises. Does he promise that you will never have suffering? Sometimes you might even find yourself having to give up your life for the faith, right? The day might come where you might die for the faith. And he promises to always be with you. So ask, uh, answer this question, and if you do, you will have solved all the problems of the world. If God is almighty, why do sin, evil, suffering, and death exist in the world? Um, so when uh, he defeats sin and um, death and evil, it shows his power to all his believers. Okay, well, so you might say that God allows it to exist so that in the end we might even see his power and his glory, right? But who, who's responsible for bringing these things into the world? Satan. Okay, and who did Satan work through that cooperated with him in the very beginning? First parents. Uh, the devil? No. A Adam. And oh, Adam and Eve, yeah. Okay. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that, so really sin came into the world not just because of the devil, but also the, came into the world because of us, yeah. right? And so these things exist because simply God permits them, but at the same time, we're to blame for them, aren't we? Yeah, that's our own fault. Well, uh, we, God, in order to protect and preserve his church, he gathers us together, and he creates a bond that, in a sense, protects us from sin and evil. What are you going to be receiving today that's going to be a bond between you and God and between you and your fellow Christians. In the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Um, you want to hand that over to Olivia?
we, we want to start asking really tough questions now. <laughs> the Lord's Supper, what is it? It is the true body and blood of Jesus Christ under, under the bread and wine. For us Christians to eat and drink. Instituted by God. By Christ himself, right? By Christ. There was something that happened in the Old Testament uh, that where Jesus on Monday, Thursday is actually celebrating a meal that's an Old Testament meal. What was that meal called? The Last Supper. Uh, but I mean, the, the meal, yeah, in the Last Supper, he was celebrating an Old Testament thing that had happened in Egypt. Oh, the Passover. The Passover, right? And what did they do with the blood of the lamb? They put it on their doors so the angel of death would pass by them. And pass over them. <laughs> we call it the pass by. <laughs> pass over. <laughs> um, so the, the angel of death would pass over. And what did they do with the lamb that, in that meal? They, they ate it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they ate the lamb, right. And so this was a meal that actually had been a kind of, a, I guess you might say, a shadow of what was yet to come. Because as they ate that lamb, they were to now prepare themselves because we were going to be eating of... The body of Christ. Right. And we, and we call him the lamb of... God. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Sin in our liturgy, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Um, so... When we talk about redemption, can you explain more fully what it is that redemption is to redeem? Well, um, it means that someone who, like, doesn't deserve it and is sinful, like, they now get it. Someone puts themselves in the place of them, and now they... Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting way, because that word can have some other meanings, and you picked up a couple of different uh, words. Um, yeah, like say, for instance, like a ransom, right? Uh, somebody has been kidnapped, and they can't escape, and somebody goes and offers themselves in the place of the people who are there. They're, uh, they actually give their life in exchange. That's one, one idea of, of redemption. The other idea is like payment, right? That, um, for instance, um, uh, when you need to be able to get an A at school and your dad goes up and he gives money to the teacher, <laughs> that never has happened, has it? No. Oh, okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> that would be a kind of a redemption, wouldn't it? But you get the A's all by yourself. You don't have to worry about that. We say, why did Christ freely choose to suffer and die? Why did he freely choose this? When you think about it, why, why, he, he did this because he had to redeem who? He had to redeem us. Yeah. When we say it was free, meaning that God didn't have to do what? He didn't have to. He didn't have to do it, but he... He chose to. Yeah, he chose. It was, a, it was a choice on his part, which makes it all the more wonderful. So often people think that God has to save us. And the fact of the matter is, is that if God had let all of humanity perish for all time, he still would have been a God of love. He chose to actually save us when we didn't deserve it. Why don't we go to Alex now, okay? Okay, so when we say that there was a, that Christ's death was substitutionary. What is meant by that? Um, it was substituted for us under Christ. Right. Have you ever had a substitute at school? Yes. It took the place of the teacher? Mm -hmm. So therefore, if Jesus is a substitutionary sacrifice, it means? He's taking place of our place, right? Mm -hmm. Because you were condemned by the law, law, and now he has taken your place. So this idea of his atonement, what did he have to shed in order for him to atone for us? Our uh, sins. Um, he, he was going to atone for our sins, but yeah. the shedding of what, though? His blood. Yeah, there, there you have it. 
the shedding of his blood. So we said, what is the sacrament of the altar? Why don't we ask Emily, because she is really getting jealous of you right now. The sacrament of the altar, it is the very real what? Body and blood of Jesus Christ under the bread and wine. Okay. And there uh, we say, what is given, what is the benefit of this sacrament of the altar? Life and salvation are given through these words, right? Given and shed for you, for the you. forgiveness of sins. Yeah. And, and Martin Luther says, when, the, when those words are there, for you, it means that it, we are required to believe this as Christians. So when you take that Lord's Supper today for the first time, it's going to be great, isn't it? The first, first time. Yeah. Well, why don't we, uh, let me ask you this. Who's worthy to receive the Lord's Supper? All believers in Christ. Uh, and let's go on, though. Uh, sometimes people uh, will think, well, that's just a symbol, the body and blood of Christ. Why is it for us uh, something that's so sacred? Because it is the true body and blood? Yeah, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians that those who eat and drink without discerning the body and the blood of Christ eat and drink condemnation to themselves. So we want to make sure that a person understands it, knows what it is, and that they know their need for it, too, because sometimes people think, well, that's just a symbol. Well, if I'm a person who can save myself and all my good deeds are going to take me to heaven, I'll just go up and take the Lord's Supper. Are they worthy? No. No. Okay. Next time somebody does that, though, I'm going to turn them over to you, okay? <laughs> and, and you can stand there and as they growl at you instead of they, they growl at me. All right. So um, let's, uh, let's go back over yonder way. Thank you very much. Brad's here. We had a. We went. Uh, we took the kids um, out to a, um, a little field trip to various churches in the area, uh, so they could see the architecture of churches. And lo and behold, um, we started off at a church here in town that does not uh, really have the same understanding of worship as we do. Uh, we say in in worship that. Uh, God is literally present among us, and so there is a pulpit for the word of God, and there's a baptismal font, and there is an altar, and we, we worship towards these things. We went to one church, and they didn't have anything at all, just the, just the, the band and the, bar, uh, the drums and that kind of stuff up in front, very plain. And the individual that was there explained that their theology was that it was their relationship to each other that mattered, not this relationship, but this relationship. Then we went over to the Greek Orthodox Church, and there we saw this splendor of God's presence, right? It was much more rich and elaborate, and altars and baptismal fonts, and uh, a recognition, I guess you might say, of that holy presence of God. And so when we talk about the Lord's Supper and we talk about our worship, we recognize that as Lutherans, it is a very important thing. It is important that we have this with each other, but also that we recognize God's presence. So when we talk about the Lord's Supper and who is worthy to receive it, we want to remember this is the very real presence of Christ, and those who eat of it are, should be and must be holy, not because of the holiness of their own perfection, but because of the holiness that comes through God through and through but what's in here? Through faith. Faith in God, right, okay. All right, let's talk a little bit about the conscience. What is a conscience? A conscience is kind of what tells you what is right and wrong. Um, yeah. Okay, so it, it, it helps us to be able to understand the truth and how we stand in relationship to that truth. What's the value of having a clean conscience? A clean conscience is one that is not destroyed, and it still functions. It still, it still functions. So um, if you have a clean conscience, you're able to convince people of what? Who God is. Uh, and, the, and the truth about God, right? Yes. Um, what does sin do to the conscience? It destroys faith and wrecks the conscience. Okay, and it, it wrecks it. So what is it that actually then cleanses our conscience? 
God. And what, what does he use as the instrument of cleansing? The sacrament of the altar. All right. They're given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So it's kind of like your taste buds. Uh, when your taste buds are clean, you can actually begin to taste food, right? When your conscience is clean, you actually can accept and believe what? The truth. Of God's word, right. Um, let's ask you uh, at least one or two more questions here. Who alone has the authority to forgive sins? God. God does. And how does God reveal to us that forgiveness of sins? Through the word. Through the preaching of the, of, of the word of God. But it, in that word, it also promises us, Jesus said, that the blood of Christ has been shed for what purpose? For the forgiveness of sins. Okay, that's right. Now, um, let's uh, ask Nolan a few questions here. Okay, um, there's this whole question kind of a church and state. It's a big issue nowadays in our country um, because we're finding that, that the state, our government, has at times uh, tried to basically dictate to us what it is that our conscience should accept or not accept and uh, we have to be very careful that we don't have a violation between church and state. If the government of our country demands that you do something which is against not just your conscience, but your conscience as it is informed by God's word, what must you do, Nolan? Um. Maybe I should bring it down to a different level. If your, if your friend... Uh, maybe sitting next to you, if Brett tells you to do something that would be wrong and you know it's against your conscience, <laughs> we're not blaming you, Brett, just hypothetical. <laughs> what should you do? Not do it. Not do it. You say no, right? You resist it. If the government comes along and says to you that you have to do something which is against your conscience, what do you have to do? Not do it. Not do it. And what if they're threatening you? If they tell you that you're going to go to jail, do you give in? No. If they tell you that you're going to die, do you give in? No. Because it's not right to sin against conscience. There's a guy who about 500 years ago, almost 499 right now, but almost 500 years ago, um, who walked up to a door in a church in a place in Germany and nailed... 95 theses on the wall. Who was that guy? Martin Luther. Yeah. And then later on, when they dragged him before the emperor, and they said, we want you to take back everything that you've been teaching. Did he do it? No. In fact, he didn't. And he's the one that said, it is not right to sin against conscience. And then he made a famous word. He said, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. And he walked out and left. Did the emperor kill him? No. No, he didn't. He was able to be preserved and died a natural death. All right, well, we're talking about conscience here. We are, however, responsible for doing something here uh, with our conscience uh, in relationship to the governments. What are we required to pay to governments? What do we call that? Taxes. Taxes. Have you started paying taxes yet? No. You don't have a job yet, do you? No. Okay, we'll have to get you one. <laughs> We're also required to do something in our church for the government. What do we call that? Pray. Pray for them and pray for our leaders and pray for those who are in offices and responsible jobs. Uh, we talk a little bit about angels. How many kinds of angels are there? Two. Two. And what is the purpose of these angels? They're instruments that go, like, they for God to use and for us to use, I guess. Yeah, I guess, I guess you might even say, in a sense, we could use them too, but they're, uh, th that they're instruments of God. He actually uses angels to guard and watch over and protect us, right? And they, are, they carry out his will. They're instruments and tools of, of God. Um, these, uh, these good angels, well, we talk about those. 
what is the job of those who are in authority, uh, these governments? What's their, what is their function? What are they supposed to be doing? They're supposed to do punish who? Those who go against God. Those, those who, are, who are doing evil, right? And those who are doing, and, that's, and God puts them in that position. Let's talk a little bit about the resurrection of Christ. I'll ask you one question, then we'll go back to Dane because he's getting really anxious to uh, answer a few more questions too. We say the resurrection of Christ proves certain things. What are some of those things? That he is the son of God. He's the son of God. Um, that all believers will have eternal life. Oh, yes, you got you have two. All right, you can really going to get a go for all four? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, I tell you, that, that was good, though. That if, if he was raised from the dead, then all believers in Christ are also going to participate in that resurrection, right? Um, does anybody know what the other couple are there? All right, number the the. Third one is that God the Father has accepted his sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Because if Jesus had done something wrong, he would not have been raised from the dead. Yeah. And um, did you say that, that it proves that he is the Son of God? Yeah. I think you did that. Okay. All right, uh, let's uh, hand that thing over to Dane. Good job. Here you go, Dane. Okay. Um, this uh, thing called justification by faith, we call it the central doctrine of the Christian church. What does that doctrine of justification by faith mean? We would say that God is doing something. He's no longer holding something against us. What is that? Our sins. Our sins. He's no longer <coughs> charging or holding our sins against us. Have you ever done anything that was wrong? Yes. Aren't you glad I'm not asking you what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, let's just say that you're parents knew that you had done something wrong and you told them what it is that you had done wrong. Has that ever happened? Yeah. We were all waiting for that answer. And here you told them that you were sorry for what you had done. Now, did they punish you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did they forgive you in the end? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, when we say that God no longer holds or charges our sins against us, we would say that even though we have sinned, that we are not paying the penalty for our sins, that God actually is removing that. In a sense, it's like a pardon, isn't it? And so next time that this happens, ask for a pardon not just for forgiveness, because then you might still have to pay. Well, he no longer holds or charges our sins against us. So that therefore means that Christ has the substitutionary life, right? That he has actually given his life in exchange for ours. He bore our punishment, and now God no longer holds it against us. Um, when we say that God, that Christ, when he was raised from the dead, that God forgave sins, Whose sins did he forgive? All believers in Christ. That too. Did he forgive the sins of those who are not believers in Christ? Yes. Okay. He forgave the sins of the whole world. Whole world. And the problem is, is that a good portion of the world doesn't believe in Christ. Yeah, they don't know it. Isn't that terrible? It's like a war. That is over with. We sometimes talk about how in World War II they had all these islands with Japanese soldiers on them. And the war was over with and the soldiers never knew it. And there they were fighting, getting ready to die because they didn't know the war was over with. Can you imagine? Christ 
has died for the sins of the whole world. And God is now at peace with the whole world. And not everybody believes in it. You know, uh, yesterday, I preached at you. And I said, at the very end of your Bible passage, you are what? Don't you just love that when you go home and your parents say, what was the sermon about? And you go, um, um, um. I said, you are witnesses of these things, Dane. You are a witness to tell the world that Jesus died for their sins too. So we say, who was pardoned? We say, all mankind. What were the first words of Jesus? I'm going to hand it over to Olivia. What were the first words of Jesus when he was raised from the dead to his disciples? Peace be with you. Yeah, very good. Peace be with you. You know, when you think about it, were they people who stood up with Jesus and really confessed him before people when he was in his time of trial? No. Yeah. Where did they go? They ran away, didn't they? Yeah. And yet Jesus said, peace be with you. So when he said those words, I guess he must be forgiving them their... Their sins. Their sins, yeah. And so those same words are spoken to us too. Peace be with you. Um, then he said to his disciples, he said that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Why would Jesus want us to administer a forgiveness that actually is already there for everybody? He died for the sins of the whole world, right? What? Why would he give us a, why would he tell us that we need to administer this? Well, um, not everyone may know that they are completely forgiven, and they might be in a really bad place because they don't think that they are forgiven. They think they've done something so wrong that they can't be forgiven. So some of it can just simply be because we, we need to convince people of this, right? So if you told people that their sins were forgiven, but they had no faith, in Christ or anything else. Do they receive it? Do they receive the benefits of it? Well, God forgave the sins of everyone, so their sins are forgiven, but they, unless they have faith, they won't go to heaven. Yeah, and, and unless they have faith, is something that receives the peace that comes from that, right? So if you don't think that you need to be forgiven or you think that you can earn your way into heaven by your own works and your own deeds then maybe there's no way that that forgiveness makes you better. In fact, maybe we just hand it over to Alex because he wants to answer this. Um, let's just say, for instance, Alex, you've got a couple of kids in your family, younger brother and sister, all right? And let's just say, for instance, that, that they were kind of bugging you. Not the first time. <laughs> and you just got mad at them, and you just pushed them around or something like that, right? And then your mom or your dad comes to you, and they say, Alex, what would you do? And Alex says, I did it, and I want to do it again. <laughs> Does your dad or your mom say, oh, Alex, we love you, and we forgive you? No. <laughs> Because, actually, in a state of so-called unbelief, uh, you actually don't get better by having somebody tell you that they love you and forgive you. You actually get worse. worse. Yeah, yeah that, that's what makes people into brats. And aren't you glad you're not a brat? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, consider the reasoning. If somebody doesn't think that they need a Savior, when you tell them that Jesus died for them and loves them, does it make them better or worse? Worse. So the idea is, is that we are to forgive the sins of the whole world. Yeah, well, of the sins of the, we talk about a person who is sorry for their sins. That, that, what do we call that? It starts with a P. Penitent. Good. The penitent sinners will be retain the sins of the Im impenitent as long as they do not repent. Good. Very good. Just because that was so good, I'm going to ask you to hand it over to Emily. Okay. All right, Emily. 
So why is it that, therefore, everybody is bound, in a sense, to the church for the forgiveness of their sins? Why, why is it that God even wants our church to exist here? What are we supposed to be doing as a church? Are we supposed to be a bowling club? No. Okay. You wouldn't mind that, though, would you? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, are we, what are we here to do that's going to happen to you today uh, when you go up to the Lord's Supper? Um, give the Lord's Supper. Yeah, and what are you going to receive there? Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of your sins, right? And your confirmation is intended to be something that we are here working on preparing your hearts, kind of like Alex's mom and dad were doing with him when he picked on his little younger brother and sister. We are actually trying to help you through the law and through the gospel constantly to be able to see your need for forgiveness. For the forgiveness of your sins, right? That's why we're here. And sometimes people forget that the purpose of the church is for that, to forgive sins, to cleanse consciences, to redeem people from sin and death and the power of the devil, all that kind of stuff. They think that church is maybe just a social thing or maybe a place where people come to meet friends or a place where people come and feel good about themselves. Are we here to make you feel good about yourself? No. <laughs> but we do make you feel good about yourself when we tell you that Jesus forgives you all your sins. sins. Yeah. Okay. So what should a Christian do if they don't... Well, we have to go back over here to Brett for this one. All right. There you go. If, if a person does not see th their need for forgiveness, if they do not sense the need to repent, what should they do? Can we pull the crowd on this one? I think they'd have a more interesting answer. Say, say that again. Can we pull the crowd? They probably have a more interesting answer than me. Okay. Um, Sorry, I'll, I'll Let's answer. back up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Luther says, what we should do is if we don't sense that there's a need for repentance, we should touch our flesh and what? We should see what Christ says about what will happen to it in the last day. Yeah. Just go ahead and touch that flesh and ask yourself. That's why it wouldn't be such a bad idea for us to have a graveyard out here. Because that would remind us what? That where are we going? To the grave. We're going to go to the grave. We're going to die. And then ask ourselves whether or not this is something that we can do to preserve or to avoid. Yeah, we can't do that. We need to be able to recognize it. Then look at the world out there. What do we see out there in the world? Is it a really hunky-dory place out there? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that you said that in the wrong, the, the opposite way. No, it's of course. It's a devil in the world. There's operation out there. People are dying. People are taking drugs. People are just destroying their lives and such. And there's enough trouble out there that really sh says, hey, look, it's time for us all to sit back and maybe repent. Why, why do Christians live, in a sense, above just the law? Earthly law? Yeah. Why, why do we live above it? Because we follow Christ, we are told that no matter what, we, we cannot stray from what he tells us to do. And so in that sense, we are above earthly law, but we are told to resign ourselves to it so that authority is upheld. Okay, yeah, yeah you've, you've touched on some very important things that we actually, uh, we actually submit to the governing authorities because we recognize the need for that, right, in the world. But Christians live by, we say, the higher law of love, right? So... Love, why is love so much better than just the commandment itself? Because the commandments are, it's something that we cannot always um, adhere to. Oh, we, we should adhere to, but we cannot always uphold them, and we all fall away. Okay. The, yeah, the, 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 law, the law shows us our sins, right, and our imperfections, but 
Love is something that goes deeper, right? Where Jesus in the Beatitudes, he says, you know, you said that you're not supposed to hate, right? Or you're not supposed to murder. But we're not even supposed to even hate our neighbor. We're not even supposed to say, you fool, you idiot to our neighbor. Love is something that goes even deeper and goes beyond that so that as Christians, we live by a law of love. And when we think about about what that means is that we should always ask the question, instead of sometimes just saying what's right or wrong, we should say, what does love tell you, right? All right, why then, you, you've already answered why Christians should submit themselves to our governing authorities. What are the various gifts that God gives to us every day, expressed in that, fir that first article? He gives us everything that we need to survive. Okay, and support this body and life. Can you start off by saying, uh, he has given me my clothing and... Clothing and shoes, food, drink, house, home, um, family. Yeah, he hasn't dinner. given you a wife yet. Not yet. Uh, <laughs> wife, children, and yeah. Land, animals, and all, all these things that God has. He richly and daily provides us with all that we need to support this body and life. What do we owe to him for all that? We owe to him praise. Yeah, our thanks and praise and to serve and to obey him. I'm going to ask you uh, some questions, each of you here. Why don't you hand it over to Nolan, and then we'll just go right straight across here. What do you think that God is calling you someday? What kind of a job, what kind of a vocation, what kind of a profession do you think that God is calling you to serve in at some point in your life. In other words, kind of like when people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be, Nolan? I want to work with computers. I want to work with computers. So, okay. Let's ask Brett. I don't really know yet, except we should all be a minister for Christ. Minister for Christ. Okay. Do you have any kind of inclinations about how you, what talents you're going to use and how you're going to use those? I don't know. An engineer, maybe. Okay. All right, let's ask Dane. What are you going to be, Dane? I'm not sure. You're not sure? Uh, not yet, no. Did you say a pastor? <laughs> 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 We're looking for at least one. <laughs> so you, you're going to think about that, huh? Yeah. Okay, well, let's ask Olivia here. What are you going to be? Um, I kind of want to work in business. Okay. Something like that. So I want to go to college as a football player and um, try and get to the NFL, but um, if that doesn't go through, I want to be an engineer. Okay. Or both, you know, you can only yeah. probably be a football player for a few years. Probably. When you get there, would you remember your pastor and send me tickets? No. Let's <laughs> <laughs> ask Emily. Um, I'm not sure yet, but I want to do something in the math or science field. Okay. All right. Well, I think, it's, I think it's important to think about those things because these are all different ways that, um, that uh, you can serve at some point in your life. Um, what do you suppose, Emily, that Christ is doing right now in heaven for you? Helping me get the answers right. <laughs> Maybe more than hoping, praying. <laughs> yeah, and he is. He is indeed uh, praying for each and every one of you, each and praying that you guys remain steadfast in this, in this faith. Um, what will happen to us upon the last day? I'm asking all of you. What's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, that it's hard, not just for you, but it's hard for them too, to be able to put your life in that perspective? Um, my father's favorite saying in life was a quote from the Bible. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? 
When I was doing a, a wedding for my sister, I was a pastor uh, preaching for her, her, and there was a person that was there who was one of the wealthiest people in the United States. And afterwards, he came up to me, because I preached on that text, and he told me that basically he could not be a Christian because if he did, it would threaten his empire. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? Think about eternity. Forever and forever and forever and forever in the presence of Christ. There with all those who are believers in Christ with us. And I think in heaven, we're probably going to hear Brett's two sisters singing the whole time. They, they sang last night for us, and I thought I had been in heaven. It was just so wonderful. Well, I want you all now to, um, to remember that you're, as Christians, you're always to be of good cheer, and I want you to remember the vows that you have made, which you made last night, and which will be reaffirmed in a special way today. The Lord be with you and give you his infinite and incredible peace. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would grant to these, your disciples, the wisdom and the power to be able to remain in this Christian faith until life's end. Be their substitute for their sins. Be their substitute for their death. Be their substitute as the one who has opened up the gate of heaven that they might enter with you and with all their saints, with their brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and their grandparents and all their friends and all even their enemies, that they would one day pass through that gateway into everlasting life. Keep them faithful all the way until the day of their death. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, go ahead. Um, we have some gifts for our, uh, some of our past teachers. Um, starting off, we have uh, Mr. Weimer, and all six of us had him in fifth and sixth grade, and he introduced us to the year of the Bible and just um, helped us get prepared for confirmation. So we, we uh, would like to ask him to come up here if he's in here still. Um, while he's getting in here, we have um, Mr. and Mrs. Kurtz and the Keeners. In seven, we had them in seventh grade, and um, they were uh, helped us a lot um, in the year uh, in confirmation to get prepared for um, Tuesday night classes, and uh, they were just a big help uh, for us, and we really appreciate it. So we'd uh, also like uh, ask them to come up here if they're in here. In here. I know. Okay. Uh, I, I guess we'll move on to uh, Vicar Grady. Uh, he uh, last year he uh, last year in confirmation class he helped us a lot um, on Tuesday nights, and uh, we really appreciate everything he's done for us and the church. Um, we have a. Uh, this is from the seventh graders for uh, Vicar Debner, um, helping us this year in confirmation class, um, and everything he's done for his church. He's, I think he's going off to the seminary this year, so we just appreciate uh, everything he's done. So we'd uh, like to ask him to come up here, and if he's in here. Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Kurtz, too, if they're in here. They, there they are. In the back, yeah. Um, next, the Gaspers, the eighth grade teachers, uh, they helped us a lot this year, um, getting, uh, well, first of all, for helping us get prepared for, uh, Tuesday night classes, and also on Sundays, they, their, uh, their knowledge of the Bible just, it was a lot of, it just helped us a lot, so we appreciate that, and we'd like, uh, like to ask them to come up here, too. Victor Debner, here you go.
Um, this next gift is uh, for the church, uh, a few books for the library. So pastor, we can give this to Pastor. Oh, thanks. And also, this is a separate gift for Pastor Feeney. We just appreciate everything you've done for us the last forever. forever. <laughs> uh, from when we were baptized to now, we just appreciate all your, all your help and your knowledge of the uh, Bible given to us so we can take it on in our life, and we really appreciate it. So thank you, Pastor. Okay, we will see you all in church shortly.